Today, we tell the story of Dr. Mary Edwards Walker on this week's episode of The Internet Says It's True. Hey, Hey, welcome to The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds like I made it up, but it's really true. Part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name's Michael Ken. This is episode 180, 180 straight weeks I've done this show, with the exception of one week earlier when I was sick. Uh, Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Lots going on over at Patreon. I posted four recent shows there for the Gold Level members. Those are full videos, by the way, of my magic shows that I make available to everyone who pledges at the $10 level. But you don't have to pledge that much if you don't want. Even if you just do $1, then you still get access to a lot of goodies. So head there, Tizzlers. It's at patreon.com slash Michael Kent and sign up today. I am once again asking for your financial support. It's been a crazy busy couple weeks, seven shows, two media appearances, and I am absolutely exhausted, but I'm thrilled to bring you another new story this week. And coming up later in the show, we'll be talking to comedy writer Joe Janes. In the last three years of doing the show, we've done a few episodes about real life heroes. And the one that comes to mind was the episode about Eugene Bullard, the black swallow of death. That was back in 2020, amazing story. And this is another story that I've been wanting to do for a while, and I'm happy to finally present this to you. It's all about a woman named Dr. Mary Edwards Walker. So let's get on with it. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. Let's get on with it. I personally consider Andrew Johnson to be one of the worst, if not the single worst president of the United States. His reluctance to carry through with Lincoln's plan for reconstruction created a ripple effect that we still see today, almost 160 years later. He opposed the Freedmen's Bureau, the Civil Rights Act of 1866, and the 14th Amendment. And he wasn't just a racist, he was an institutional racist who made a real-world negative impact on the lives of future generations of black Americans. Which is why I was shocked to see how he turns up in today's story. Mary Edwards Walker was born in 1832 in Oswego, New York. Her dad, Alva, was a real progressive thinker. He didn't take the traditional stance that women should merely stay home and raise children. He thought women should be well-educated and pursue roles in the professional workplace. He was also into health, and he instilled a lot of his beliefs into his daughter, Mary. They were prohibitionists, believing that alcohol and tobacco were horrible for health. Alva also believed that many of the women's fashion trends of the time were unhealthy, and he was right. It was the fashion for women to wear corsets, which had the potential to cause internal organ damage. He believed that everyone should wear loose-fitting clothing, and he actually forbade his daughters to wear corsets. As Mary grew up, she found that the most comfortable clothes for her were those worn by men. Her entire wardrobe consisted of loose-fitting trousers and men's suits. On a rare occasion when she did wear more traditional women's clothing, it would be a simple, loose-fitting, floor-length black dress. Mary was influenced by her father's proclivity for health fads and became interested in studying medicine. In 1853, at the age of 21, Mary was accepted as the only female in her class at Syracuse Medical College. And this was a new and rare thing. There was a shortage of doctors as America was expanding west, and some medical schools had just recently started accepting women. And being that she didn't act like most females their age, she was often ridiculed by fellow students. 
here's this woman dressed in men's clothing who was outspoken and stood up for herself. After graduating with honors from Syracuse Medical College, Mary moved here to Columbus, Ohio to set up a medical practice that failed because people wouldn't trust a female doctor. She left because of that, but also to be married to a man she had met in college. She wore a men's suit to the wedding, refused to include the line to honor and obey in the ceremony, and kept her own name. I can't help but mention here that in Walker's formative years in high school, Elizabeth Cady Stanton's efforts in the American feminist movement were taking place in Seneca Falls, not far from Mary in upstate New York. So while I didn't see that she ever attended the Seneca Falls convention, she would have only been 16 at the time, I think it's likely that she was positively influenced by the feminist movement. So after being married, the two set up a practice in Rome, New York, which also failed, and they ended up getting a divorce a few years later when her husband was unfaithful. She briefly went back to school, first to Bowen Collegiate Institute, and then the New York Hydropathic and Physiological School. Interesting story, by the way, about her time at Bowen. She joined the debate team, and they didn't want a girl on the team, so they made her resign, and she refused. She refused to resign, so the college suspended her. And her entire life was filled with stories just like that. Mary left New York Hydropathic and Physiological School in 1862 as the nation was descending into the chaos of the Civil War. And there was a new goal in her sights. She wanted to be an Army field surgeon to help in the Union war effort. She had already made her name as an influential woman. She often contributed articles to feminist publications like Sybil, which was a publication by Lydia Sayer Hasbrook. She would write about topics like the way women dressed, encouraging other women to wear more comfortable and pragmatic clothing. She took this new goal of helping with the war effort seriously. She traveled to Washington, D.C. and volunteered her medical services. She ended up being an assistant to Dr. J.N. Green, but she really wanted to be a commissioned army surgeon. Dr. Green lobbied on her behalf for her to be accepted by the military, but they refused, keeping her as a civilian volunteer instead. But her Civil War efforts didn't only take place in a hospital in Washington. We'll talk about some of her amazing work after a quick break. I'm John DeSando, host of Back Talk. This podcast is an extension of the long-running, award-winning movie review show, It's Movie Time. Back Talk features additional content and banter with guests about new movies. If you want more insight and information about what's playing now in theaters and online, find Back Talk at the WCBE Podcast Experience on WCBE.org. You'll be happy you did. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing bombs, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to the internet says it's true.com slash deals for the link. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. 
You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month. Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. You can sign up today at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. When Mary Edwards Walker arrived in Washington wearing men's clothing, she wanted to be a part of the United States Army. The Surgeon General refused but allowed her to work as a civilian assistant to other surgeons. She was doing amazing work and eventually carried just as much job responsibility as her male counterparts in the hospital. She began a relentless letter-writing campaign to congressmen and senators to plead her case, but was continually refused. In the meantime, the work continued. Walker was by this point actually traveling to battlefields and setting up makeshift field hospitals in abandoned barns and warehouses. She was treating as many wounded men as possible and became an incredibly important field surgeon, but still a volunteer civilian surgeon, not getting paid. She was even helping to instill better practices for people treating the wounded, like teaching the proper way to carry injured men on a stretcher and arguing against how frequently amputations were being carried out. After the Second Battle of Bull Run in Manassas, she actually showed up on the battlefield in uniform, a uniform that she had created herself, a blue officer's coat, trousers with a gold stripe, a blue hat with a gold cord, and a green sash to indicate that she was a medic. General Ambrose Burnside was shocked to see her show up with her own uniform and allowed her to treat his wounded, six railroad cars worth, on their evacuation back to Washington. And on her return, she was denied a commission yet again. This time, she wrote to War Secretary Edwin Stanton. She pitched the idea to Stanton that she would create a regiment of convicts and jailed men to help her in her efforts to treat the wounded. They would be called Walker's Patriots. Stanton denied her offer. At this point, she traveled all the way down to Tennessee to assist General George Thomas's Army of the Cumberland. And she once again petitioned to be commissioned. And throughout her later life, she actually claimed that General Thomas did grant her that commission, but there's no written evidence to support that. According to her biographer, Charles McCool Snyder, General Thomas's director of the medical staff fought against the idea of a woman surgeon, and he said it was a, quote, medical monstrosity, and he called for an Army Medical Board review of Walker's qualifications. It was there in Tennessee that Mary Edwards Walker offered to become a spy for the Union. She was granted permission and set off to enter into enemy territory, actually making her way to treat wounded men behind enemy lines. As she was assisting a Confederate surgeon in an amputation, somehow she was found out and captured as a Union spy. That's how Mary Edwards Walker ended up on a train 700 miles away to the Confederate capital of Richmond. She was locked up in horrendous conditions at Castle Thunder, which was just the name of an old warehouse in Richmond used as a makeshift POW camp. She received a pencil and paper and began writing more letters, begging for her exchange out of the prison. After four months in rat-infested Castle Thunder, she was finally granted exchange. The man exchanged for her was Major Lightfoot, a Confederate doctor being held by Union troops. 
That prisoner exchange happened in 1864, near the end of the war. Mary's relentless letter-writing campaign continued after the war. She continued lobbying anyone and everyone she could to argue that she be commissioned, compensated, and recognized for her war efforts in those years after the war. She had sacrificed a great deal to help the Union and wanted a pension like her male counterparts. And she argued that she should be given the rank of major, since they exchanged a major for her. This time her letters made it to the president himself, Andrew Johnson, who actually had a desire to recognize Walker for what she had done. In 1866, President Johnson told her that there was no legal way to commission her, but he did agree to grant her something huge, the Medal of Honor for Meritorious Services. In the citation that accompanied the Medal of Honor, it was never described what services she had done. In that same year, Mary was surrounded by a mob of men in New York City, angry at her for the way she appeared. She called for a shopkeeper to call the police, but the police arrested her when she defiantly refused to identify herself. She took action against the arresting officer and won. In the trial, it was stated that Walker could dress however she wanted. While she was proud to receive the Medal of Honor, and many of her photos show her wearing it pinned to her chest, she didn't give up her campaign to receive a military pension. And after 10 years of letter writing, she was finally granted an $8.50 a month pension. And then it was later raised to $20 a month. In 1917, Congress decided that Medal of Honor recipients couldn't be awarded to non-combatants. So Mary, along with 900 others, had her Medal of Honor stripped away from her just before dying in 1919 at the age of 86. This injustice was finally rectified 60 years later when her family petitioned President Jimmy Carter. In 1977, her Medal of Honor was restored. When I read this story, I see someone who fought her entire life for what she wanted. She never relented and was faced with adversity every step of the way, just for being herself and doing what she was born to do to help people. And at the time of recording this in 2024, there have been 3,517 Medal of Honor recipients. 3,516 of them have been men. That's right, to this day, Mary Edwards Walker is the only female Medal of Honor recipient. The internet says it's true. It's time for Yap Yap with me and a friend, and today I'm calling Joe Janes. Joe was a comedy writing instructor of mine at the Second City Training Center in Chicago, and we've kept in touch over the years. He still teaches there at the Second City, and he's also an Emmy-winning writer. What is new, Joe? Woohoo! Hey, Michael Kent. Delighted to see you. It's, uh, it's so cool what? that I've kept up uh, with you. I really enjoy, you know... Um, watching what you've done, all of the work that you continue to do, and the ongoing saga that is Columbia. Oh my gosh. Uh, I think the technical term is shit show. Yeah, I think that's what they would call it in the biz. Um, you know, if you want to see an amazing story about scabs and people not respecting uh, workers' rights, then go check out what's happening in Chicago right now. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... 
it's crazy if you if, if I could try to give the thumbnail sketch of it. Sure. So I'm adjunct at Columbia College, and we at the we ended last semester with the longest adjunct union strike in history. Wow. Seven weeks, and it totally tanked the semester. It was half the semester, and um, we we ratified a brand new awesome stellar contract Christmas Eve mm -hmm. uh, and, and in the new year the the administration pretty much has ignored the contract and broken many many uh, unfair labor practices grievances uh, lawsuits are pending and uh, we're just now getting them to uh, you know uh, honor the contract but at the same time they're declaring this uh financial crisis which sure. they, at the end of the semester last year they're like, there's no financial crisis <laughs> well so they're, they're, i mean they're if they're about. if they're trying to make that financial crisis sort of slide by under the radar it's a good time because i'm seeing it from like legitimate financial crises from so many colleges right now oh um, yeah absolutely. so it's a good time to exactly. say hey that's the problem we have no money and yet they have millions of dollars for lawsuits <laughs> for administration salaries and blah 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 and uh you know we'll we'll see what's happening they're, they're threatening to lay off tenured faculty unbelievable so unbelievable yeah. we'll keep get up let's talk yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love it just jump right into some hot stuff right there well um <laughs> for the first question today we're gonna play for a joke so if you get it wrong you gotta tell me a street joke if you get it right i'll tell you one here right. is okay. your question mary edwards walker is the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor. For what is she best known? A, is it being a U.S. Army surgeon during the Civil War? B, being the first female fighter pilot? Or C, founding the first surgical school in the U.S.? So that was being a surgeon during the war, uh, the, uh, the Civil War, being the first fighter pilot, or the first surgical school. Wow, those are all like like such viable answers. There's nothing ridiculous in there. No. I'm a little disappointed there's not at least one where I can go like, well, it's not that one. No, I made this hard. This is a hard one. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm drawn towards the Civil War one, but I, I, I'm not sure if they gave out that honor back then. But I'm going to go with that, Civil War surgeon. You got it. The answer is that... Uh... Mary Edwards Walker was a Civil War surgeon, very famously denied uh, service. She didn't, they, she wanted to join up and they said no, she did it anyway. Um, they didn't like her. She dressed like a man her whole life. And, yes. Um, yeah. And so like, you know, that was a big, they hated her. They didn't, you know, but she did it anyway. And one of the interesting things about this woman is that she actually, well, I, I, this might be a question later on, so I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until, okay. um, <laughs> You know, we'll see we'll see what their questions are, but really interesting figure and groundbreaking. So uh, you got it right, which means I owe you a joke. So here's your joke: At a medical convention, a male doctor and a female doctor start eyeing each other, and the male doctor he asks her to dinner, and she accepts. And they sit down at the restaurant. She excuses herself. She goes to wash her hands, and after dinner, one thing leads to another. They end up in her hotel bedroom, and things start to get hot. The female doctor interrupts. Says she has to go wash her hands. She comes back and they go for it. As soon as they finish up, she gets up, says she's going to go wash her hands. She comes back and the guy's like, I bet you're a surgeon. And she confirms, right? She's like, yeah, but 
how did you know? And he says, easy, you're always washing your hands. And then she goes, I bet you're an anesthesiologist. And he goes, how'd you guess? She says, easy, I didn't feel a thing. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. That was actually a pretty good one. Normally these jokes are pretty bad, but that one I like. That's so, nice. yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed reading this story this week about, about Mary Edwards Walker because um, not only was she groundbreaking in her work, but as a social uh, status figure, as a so- social, you know, uh, uh, someone who sort of bucked the, the trends of the day, she married a man. And a lot of people think that that was a sham and that she probably, you know, if this were today, she'd probably identify as trans. That's no one knows for sure, but definitely an early sort of gender fluid figure who did amazing things outside of her, you know, bucking the system. So pretty cool story. Uh, For the next question, Joe, we're going to play for an admission of the worst thing we've ever written. So, so I hope I don't win because this uh, is going to be wincing. <laughs> I well, I hope that that you get. I know yeah, to lose. I I really want you to lose because I know that you've written a ton more than I have in in your lifetime. Um, you're always writing, and that's kind of what you do. And as a writer, I'm sure that you've got some good stories of stuff that just didn't make it. So. And you know what? I I really didn't think about this one, so uh, I don't have an answer. So you really better get this one wrong. Okay. <laughs> Here, <It'd> be hard to <laughs> pick. Here's the here's the question: uh, Which one of these was used as an anesthetic during the Civil War? Was it A. Mothballs, B. Chloroform, or C. Anesthetics didn't exist during the Civil War? Uh, I, I'm going to say this is from all my years of watching television and dramatizations and, you know, everything that's fictional about the civil war. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say that nothing existed. They just bite on a stick or take a swig of whiskey. The answer, chloroform. (laughs) Yeah. That's what made this an interesting question to me, because I what is exactly what I said when I read this chloroform and ether were both used to help dull the pain during amputations and other Civil War surgeries. The most popular was whiskey, as you mentioned, that was the most popular sort of anesthetic, um, but not technically an anesthetic. They used chloroform. And one thing that I read was that there was better anesthesia during the Civil War surgeries than people realize the most the most common surgery was an amputation. And uh, also, as you mentioned, you know, they would have people bite down on a stick or bite a bullet, which is where the saying comes from. But uh, yeah, they, they chloroformed people. <laughs> well, that's what I get for trusting TV. I mean, I do, you know, I'm just happy you got it wrong. So somebody screaming or someone sleeping. Yeah, and that's true. <laughs> and, or, you know, we chloroform we think of in terms of tv is just you know the rag over the mouth and the person passes out and then you do something nefarious but apparently this is a thing that was used back in the day i don't even know where you, where they got chloroform and, and ether but they weren't as uh, available they weren't as ready, readily available as whiskey obviously i actually looked up chloroform recently and, uh, <laughs> I don't want to know why. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you don't need to conf- admit to don't incriminate yourself on this podcast. Well, what, what, what I found interesting. This First, is we hear about we, we, wait, wait, wait. We just heard about how angry you are at this faculty <laughs> at, the, at these at the head of, of this college. 
We don't well, need here's the disappointing Sorry. thing to find out about chloroform. Like we always hear like, you know, over the mouth. and oh. Right. It takes a while. It takes Does a while. it really? You can't just do yeah. the over the face and then you're done? It's like 10 or 15 minutes before you'd fall asleep from it. I have to ask because I think our listeners are wondering why, what was the impetus for searching for that? Well, I'm actually, I, I'm writing, I'm writing a play called Macbeth in Space. And write what you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, what you know. Uh, but in, in classic Macbeth, there's a scene where uh, Lady Macbeth gives the guards goblets with poison in them, yeah, not to kill them, but to make them go to sleep. And I'm like, well, what the heck would would do that? And I, so I, chloroform was just one of the things I looked up. And it wasn't fast enough working for your for your idea. Well, nobody knows about it, so I'm using it. Okay, yeah, don't just don't tell them the <laughs> truth. Everyone knows the trope. No one knows the truth. So I think that works. Uh, that's, that's really interesting. I, there's gotta be something that does that instantly though. You know what I get asked all the time? I get at least one email every year and possibly multiple. Um, everyone comes, they Google for a magician because they want the smoke bombs that you throw on the ground and then someone can appear or disappear. That's what they want. It doesn't exist and it's never existed. It's not a thing. Uh, it's, it's TV tricks and it always has been. And even to create something like that would take more effort, work and money than they would ever do. But even just the idea of throwing something on the ground and it being a puff of smoke, regardless of the disappearance or (laughs) it just doesn't happen. There's no such thing that really does that. They would also like, yeah, shield you. It wouldn't be that large. Yeah. You would have to have a lot of smoke in a caplet, I guess is the way that's normally depicted, but I don't know. (laughs) So what's the worst thing you've ever written? Oh, boy, I tell ya. Is there one that pops into mind? I got a three-way tie. Okay. <laughs> I actually have a handwritten legal pad thing that I wrote in college called The Dentist of Oz. It's literally The Wizard of Oz, but instead of going to see The Wizard, they're going to see a dentist. That is it. <laughs> That's all it is. It's about 15 pages handwritten. <laughs> And That's, it is miserable. Do you remember, like, is there a turn? What is the is the dentist not a real dentist or? Uh, you know, I honestly cannot tell you anything from it other than that it is the Wizard of Oz. But instead of a wizard, it's a dentist. That's the only. <laughs> I I've suppose never, the premise is enough to understand that. It I have not bad. read it in decades, but it sticks in my memory. You should stage a reading. Um, this this would have been a perfect like COVID virtual reading. You know, you could sit different people and just do a table read on Zoom <laughs> of this horrible old work. I love it. I love it. Uh, the other one would be a, a one that I wrote for my very first writing class at Second City as a student where they were still trying to figure stuff out. So uh, if you remember, like people would bring in scenes and you'd cast it and we'd all read it together. Mm-hmm. Well, back then... You came in with the copy of your sketch and you read the whole thing yourself, all the characters and everything. Uh. And I wrote an 11 page parody of Star Trek The Next Generation, but all the main cast was was the cast of the Jack Benny show from old time radio. So I was the only audience member for this sketch anyway. But it was a long slog of reading it all by myself to silence. And and did you do voices? How does that work oh, when yeah. you're trying oh, to yeah. depict I the different <laughs> Don Wilson was Worf, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. I have some of the sketches that I wrote for probably for your class. I did a few different levels of the training center, um, those summer immersions and uh or the I guess 
and they weren't in the summer because one of them it was snowing but yeah they uh they're really bad the sketches i wrote for that you know they were my first attempt <laughs> and i, I yeah. kept them all well, you know then you're just you're building muscles then so you got to cut sure. yourself some slack. oh absolutely you know and i've seen that with magic you know where uh i've i've told told the story on this show many times but one of the worst things i ever wrote was this idea for taking a trick that magicians know is McCombical deck billy mccomb had it was a magician who had this idea that like i'm going to make a prediction i'm gonna stack the odds in my favor so you're gonna choose something after i've made my prediction but the audience can see that what you're choosing from all match my prediction so it's i'm forcing you to pick the thing and then the audience member picks something different. So that's magic trick number one. And magic trick number two is the prediction then changes to match what they picked. Well, I had this idea. I, now that everyone is very familiar with the plot of McComical Deck, which, which is way in the weeds, uh, that that was going to be the Golden Girls. And so I had all the Golden Girls. And, and the, the premise was like, you're going to choose which Golden Girl to be romantically involved with or something. And it just didn't work. It was horrible. And... and you know the people did the, the it was for colleges and the colleges i thought there'd be a cult following for golden girls there wasn't no one yeah, cared how long ago was this this was probably uh 15 years ago probably right before the big golden girls wave well yeah reruns were on tv at the time um but i i feel like the golden girls never went off of tv you know no, and, no, 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 but, but they, they, they definitely have like this cult following now i thought i thought there would have been then and, you know, I'll say like many times if, if my wife and I are sitting trying to decide what to watch and it's late at night and we're like, we don't want to get into an hour long show. We'll mm -hmm. just throw on the Golden Girls like from, you know, if it's usually on TV, I usually don't have to go and find it on Netflix or whatever. And it's great because they're short and it's light and easy to watch. Well so. so question three for this question, we're going to play for a sticker. Uh, uh, the Internet says it's true sticker. It's three oh. inches and it's square and it's sticky. I've heard that's the only uh, one you have. It, this, this is the rumor. It's this like is the Stanley Cup. If I get it, I have to send it back. Yes. And yeah, we engrave names on the back of it. It's, it's a really old sticker. Uh, two, this is a, episode 180. There are a lot of names on the back of that sticker. 215,000 soldiers died from battle in the Civil War. How many died from disease? So this is a separate number than the 215. 215 means like a direct injury from, you know, the, the battle. Not, the, a, not a percentage from that number. That's correct. So this, how many okay. separate died from disease? Was it A, 238,000, B, 80,000, or C, 412,000? This is another tough question. Yeah, because those are all really phenomenal numbers, too. Because <laughs> I, like, I was thinking, like, well, it's got to be something really crazy that would be the right answer, or you wouldn't ask it. Right. Those are all pretty insane. What are the numbers again? Uh, so the first one was 238,000. That's a little more than that died in battle. That died in battle. Uh, the second one was 80,000, so less than half. Less. And then uh, C was 412,000, which is almost twice. Well, that is the insane number, then. It is the insane uh, number. Yeah, I'm going to go with C. The answer... Was the more reasonable number? Oops, excuse, sorry, wrong, wrong sound effect. It was, it was uh, a two hundred thirty-eight thousand. So twenty thousand more than uh, than died in battle. Actually died yeah, from disease. Yeah, I guess if it was the crazy number. We hear that number more. Yeah, number. yeah. I I debated what that third, what the other wrong choice was going to be, and uh, but if I made it lower, the two hundred 
the 238 seemed too obvious. I made this, these questions I made a little bit too difficult this week. So this isn't you, this is me. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, so far you're one for three. Question Ooh. four, we're going to play for an admission of the best thing that's happened to us this week. I have kept this, uh, this, these stakes on this question for a while because I love hearing wins, like personal wins. Yeah, so uh, an admission of the best thing that's happened to us this week. A woman named Melinda Blaylock is known for having done what during the Civil War? I'm assuming nobody that's listening is familiar with that name before I just said it. So this is a total guess for everyone. A, fought for both sides of the war. B, drew up battle plans for General Grant. Or C, cooked the final meal for soldiers before the first shots were fired in Charleston. Oh, <laughs> they're all hard. Is it, all these I made them way too hard this time. Well, then I, I'm going to go with like I thought like, like I've, I've heard of like most Civil War stories about women fighting in the Civil War. Yeah. Like I don't remember the names, but I've heard most of the stories and most of them are, you know, women like pretending to be men. kind of thing. Yeah, a lot of that. Um, I'm going to I'm going to go with fought on both sides. The answer. She fought on both sides. You got that one right. So this is a fun story. She followed her husband and joined the 26th North Carolina Regiment of the Confederate Army, disguising herself, as you said, as a young man. She called herself Samuel Blaylock. Um, and I, I assume just said she was her husband's brother. I don't know how that worked. But they eventually escaped across uh, Confederate lines. They joined the Union partisans in the Appalachian Mountains of Western North Carolina. So apparently I didn't know this, but I didn't know that there were Union partisans in the Appalachian Mountains. That I'm going to have to look up because that sounds like an interesting story. There were like there was a resistance inside North Carolina. Who knew? That's kind of cool. Yeah. So but she fought on both sides uh, by doing that. Obviously, she probably never would have been able to sign up for a, an official Union regiment. I don't think if they knew that she was from you know the 26th North Carolina that they would have ever let her do that. But yeah, she she fell in with these partisans and fought for both sides of the war. Fought against do the they people know that what? she. Do they know what the, like, was there an inciting incident of, like, why they switched sides or they just there, woke up? With, like, I don't this? know, but I, I'm going to put Melinda Blaylock on my list of future stories because I'm thrilled by this. Like, I'm com completely interested. Um, so I'm going to look up more and see what I can find out about this. Um, but, yeah, yeah that cool. was just like a I found that in a list of, of strange Civil War facts. I, I was looking for specifically Civil War facts about women because this story is about a woman. So. Um, yeah, well, you uh, you're you're two for four. You're 50 percent right now. Five batting 500. And this one's for all the marbles. So if you get this one right, you are welcome back on the podcast anytime. If you get it wrong, you're banned for life. And this is a kind of a tough question. Yeah. Maybe uh, this one's open ended. Joe James, who has been the most important woman in your life? Mm. Wow. It's a tough one, right? Well, you know, uh, the, can, can we? It, it's sort of like who's your favorite band except the Beatles? Can you say like, <laughs> okay, who, yeah, most influential woman other than your mom? Other than your mother, sure, we can do that. Yeah, or it can be uh, your mother. I mean, I'd be happy to hear a story about that too. It, you know, whatever you'd like. You know, honestly, I've got to go. There's been so many, uh, and I got to go with Mrs. Kendall, my fifth grade teacher. Ooh, I like this. Why? Uh, she really encouraged me to write. Okay. And gave us a lot of writing assignments and always had me stand up in front of the class and read what I wrote 
to the class because it was always funny. Oh, so she instilled some confidence in, in yeah. what, you were, what you were creating. That's a yeah. good answer. That is a correct answer. You're welcome back on the show. I like that one. I, w- I kept thinking teachers, too, because I was like, my wife has done amazing things for me. My mother, obviously, you know, when I was younger, did amazing things for me. But uh, I had a I had an English teacher in college. Um, I, now I'm going to doctor. Well, she made us call her captain because she was an Air Force <laughs> captain. She was she was a retired Air Force captain. Phoebe Spinrad was her name. And she oh, was tough. Name. She was tough. She shot. She taught Shakespeare. And I did an entire quarter at Ohio State. We used to be on the quarter system. Right. So I did an entire quarter. Uh, with her about Hamlet. And she used real life stories of her experience calling out sexual assault in the Air Force and being thrown in the brig for it as a um, analogy to the stories in Hamlet that she was talking about in the themes of like revenge and all this interesting stuff. And so it became this really like I have to this day Every week I think about like revenge versus justice when I'm watching the news and politics and like, is this justice or is this revenge? Is this spiteful? And, and even themes of like love and what love means and all this stuff all came from this. And I think it was one of my, if not my very last quarter in college at at Ohio state. So, so, you know, I'm sure Phoebe Spinrad probably doesn't listen to podcasts, but in the case that she does, thank you. So, and thank, tell, tell me one more time the name of your fifth grade teacher. Mrs. Kendall. Mrs. Kendall, thank you for, for uh, giving us this amazing writer. Is there anywhere where people can see your work? Oh, yeah. If you want to get updates on what's happening in, in my world, you go to uh, www.joejanes.net. Joejanes.net. Was .com taken? Uh, it was. Yeah. <laughs> I, never, I never got michaelkent.com. And I've offered a lot of money for it. I just never got it. I, I, I think at one point I offered $6,000 for oh, it. Wow. It was worth it to me. I don't think I would pay that now, but in the height of my touring, like 10 years ago, maybe I, I would have paid that. Uh, uh, apparently .com opened up. I got an email saying, hey, do you want .com? It opened up. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I've had this you don't, for a while. Yeah. It's, it, I, I probably feel the same now. It's just not, websites aren't as important as they used to be anyway. Right. You know? Like a good social media handle is almost worth more. But even then, it's so temporary, you know. Like I was thrilled that I had Michael Kent at Twitter. And then I was thrilled that I had a blue check mark at Twitter. And then all of that is just gone. I mean, I still have Michael Kent, but it's just no one cares anymore. No one, no one reads it. It got blowed up. Yes, yes. Well, uh, I look forward to hearing uh, everything that you do in the future. And thanks again for coming on, Joe. Well, thanks, Michael. Always a joy. That is all for this week. Thank you so much to Joe Janes for being my guest, and thanks to you for listening. Here's the voice of a Confederate loser. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it! See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True! 
the internet says it's true, we'd like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Sean Brown, Joshua Endress, Dallas Ray, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Jim and Joanne Martin, Mitch and Andrew Joseph Templin, and the show's official emperor, KickTrack. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and all audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash michaelkent.